SEALS! America's darling. Today, on the Pre-Combat Check Podcast, I will be talking with one. My guest, Trevor, is a true daredevil. He pushed the limits while in the military and continues to do so after getting out from hunting to base jumping with a wingsuit. He will share the good and the bad and what you can expect if you want to become a SEAL. Enjoy the show. Trevor, welcome to the show and thanks for being here. Yeah, no problem, man. Good to talk. Good to catch up a little before we got started. And uh, I'm glad to be able to do this. I appreciate you taking the time from your daredevil lifestyle to share your experience of what it was like being a Navy SEAL. Let's get started. What years were you in and why did you join? I joined in 2007 and I got out in 2016. And that puts me put me about the uh, or exactly the nine nine years in mark. And I joined uh, after doing a year at college. I was at an art school actually because I uh, I didn't feel like I was really giving a lot back or accomplishing a lot in my life at that point. And my family's got a pretty rich service in wartime history, so it was in the back of my mind. And I figured, hey man, if I'm going to do this do something difficult and the teams just were the right thing for me thinking about it at the time and that's why I picked it. That's actually similar to me. I was in art school prior. As I was going through I didn't want to play I wanted to do something with my hands and something difficult, so that's pretty cool. What was your MOS? What unit were you assigned to and how many times did you deploy? MOS or uh, art designator in the teams is fifty three twenty six and then 5323. So 5326 is a Navy SEAL or Special Operations SEAL. Um, I can't remember how the how the verbiage is there. And then a 5323 supersedes that because I was a uh, a driver of the mini subs at Field Delivery Vehicle Team One, which is uh, out in Hawaii. And that's where I was assigned to initially was the uh, the team out in Hawaii. And how many times did you deploy? I did three deployments during my five-year stretch at SDB. Being stationed out in Hawaii sounds like it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I call it interesting and fun. People say that you can get island fever staying there, but the upside to being at a, at a SEAL team that's there is our requirement for training and different kinds of training is so high that with our op-tempo, we were gone so much that I didn't really get island fever. It felt more like I was living on vacation when I came home. That sounds like a pretty good deal right there. Yeah, I mean, it could have been far worse, right? (laughs) Most definitely. So what is the SEAL primary mission set? It depends on the team you're at. As a broad overview, the SEAL teams are a special operations unit that specializes in assault and raids. We're a surgical instrument for naval special worker overseas. And how did you volunteer, and can anyone try out? Yeah, so when I joined, uh, I joined on something called a SEAL Challenge contract. So I, I walked into the recruiter, and I told them what I wanted to do. And just like everybody gets the same shtick from the recruiter, I also understood not to just believe the shit that was coming out of his mouth. Yeah. Uh, because everybody catches the same stuff for them. Like, oh, yeah, no, you're going to be totally good. Here's this and this and this. Now, my dad's an attorney, so I took all the paperwork home with me and had him look at it because, man, they can really screw you, and it could just be pure negligence. It couldn't even be them just being a dick. Like, they might not be trying to do it, but that guy might just not give a shit. Like, he's a recruiter because that's a duty he has to do. Yeah, he didn't really volunteer for that, right? 
Like, that's not the job he wanted when he joined the military, necessarily. I joined on a sealed challenge contract, uh, which was and is, I think, still the same name. And it's similar to the x-ray program in the Army when you can go off the street to um, Green Beret selection. It's the same thing, similar thing, where anybody off the street can go, but you're running the risk of being an undesignated paint chipper if you fuck it up, which is statistically going to happen. So if you fail, you're going to go to what's considered the big Navy, and you might just be hanging out on a ship the rest of your career in the military. Fully possible. Um, and, I, and it kind of depends on how good of a student you are in BUDS and how far you make it through the program before you either get kicked out or quit, if you're in that group, um, as to whether or not you get to choose a good rate when you leave. So there's a distinct possibility that you might still be able to do something sort of cool, like be a Navy diver or uh, something similar like search and rescue, or you could have been a a schmuck and they're like well here's the deal you're gonna go chip paint go be a you name the thing or undesignated just send you to a ship so you're at the hands of the cadre so don't burn that bridge is what you're saying yeah you know don't burn your own bridge underneath you people do it on the flip side of that if you do well and the cadre like you you're going to be treated well when things go badly so i got sick uh, following hell week and failed a uh round proofing test and I was sick to my stomach and thought oh this is it this is how it's going to happen like I'm going to get kicked out of the program because I had no intentions I had no thoughts of ever quitting just honestly I just never did because I came into it saying oh, I'm just not going to quit they're going to have to break me or kick me out and I thought well this is it this is how I get kicked out and I walked into the disciplinary review board and the staff looked at me and they're like dude you're fine you're the kind of candidate we want here so don't fucking worry about it you know so that's the other side of that coin and had I been a shithead, they could have been like, well, you failed, too bad. Totally. So act professional, even if you're not doing well or you get sick, just stay professional. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's the same in any other lifestyle, you know, or job. Just stay a pro. And if you don't stay a pro, people are not going to want you around. It's super important, and you know this coming from uh, 7-5 in special operations. Like, your reputation is literally almost the top thing that people care about. And so with that, what made you want to specifically try out to be a SEAL? Why'd you choose that versus Special Forces, being a Ranger, or any other program in the military? I grew up reading books on the LERPs, which is Long Range Reconnaissance Patrols, which are uh, 75th Ranger Ridge in Vietnam, and some of the books on the Green Berets that were over there. I think I had read maybe one Vietnam-era uh, SEAL book, Point Man. Yeah, I think I read Point Man which is a, a book on the SEAL teams from a point man's perspective. I don't know. I just, I thought, well, I grew up near the ocean and looking at all the different mission sets and all the different routes that you could run. There were two things that stood out to me about the SEAL teams. One, they were regarded as very elite and the training program was the hardest pipeline in the military. And a lot like the x-ray program, you could go immediately into the unit. So between the two, that's the direction I wanted to go. Unlike MARSOC, right, where you have to spend time in the Marines before you get to try out, like you said, you get to go give it your all, and if it doesn't work out, then you figure something else, but at least you try. Yeah, and, and honestly, like, I didn't even know about programs like PJs, pararescue jumpers, or CCTs, the combat controllers in the Air Force, or any of the, you know, more oddball programs out there. I didn't know about them, so I had, 
Yeah, I was actually the same way. And all I thought about was being a Marine or being in Special Forces. I didn't know too much else besides that. It's good to know before that there's a lot of opportunities out there. There are. They all have different cultures. Uh, Maybe one appeals to you more than another. So for anybody that is looking to join and wants to do a special program, don't necessarily come in dead set on one unless that's all you've wanted your entire life. Maybe look at some of the other options. You know, maybe you want to be a search and rescue swimmer. Maybe you want to be on the Coast Guard. You don't necessarily know what those programs are about until you ask. For sure. So yeah. the selection process to become a SEAL and get your trident is called BUDS, or Basic Underwater Demolition School. How long is it? What do you actually do? And what was it like? It's a two-part program. So there's BUDS, which is Basic Underwater Demolition SEAL School. And then there's STT, which is SEAL Qualification Training. And the way they work is if you do them straight through, and you don't get sick, injured, hurt, or rolled back. The first one is six months, BUDS is six months, and then there's another six months of SEAL qualification training. And BUDS is a, it's a selection process. They're trying to find out if you have the aptitude and ability to perform very basic special operations tactics and skills. And I'm talking like stuff they were teaching in the 40s and 50s to the Scouts and Raiders. Very basic team-oriented and individual skill-oriented stuff. And then the big part that everybody knows about or hears about with BUDS is the physical part. So they're trying to find out if you have the grit and the willingness to just put your head down and say, fuck it, I'm not quitting. So that's how BUDS works. And following BUDS, you go to SQT, which is where you earn your Trident. And that's where you learn a little more advanced skills, you know, some more modern techniques, shooting, explosives, diving, and that's where you learn how to do uh, military freefall. You kind of become what people look at. They're like, oh, that's a Navy SEAL. It's more so an SQT than BUDS. BUDS is the process to select the person who's dumb enough to stick around or hard enough. <laughs> Would you say that BUDS is more mental than physical then? Uh, to a point, I seem to hear talk about it. says, oh yeah, BUDS is more mental than physical. That's true as long as you can physically qualify for the program at the top end. So if you're in the top 10% of the physical performers, it's all mental. It's totally up to you whether or not you're going to quit. The middle 80% of physical candidates, they might have a hard time here and there with some something like a run or a swim or an obstacle course or staying up late. You know, Maybe they, they weren't really that great with sleep deprivation, which you get just based on how the training cycle runs and the off-tempo there. And then the bottom 10% physically aren't capable and they'll never make it, which it happens. You know, somebody that just barely scrapes by the standards for the PST, which is the physical screening test, they just disappear really quick. But that's the purpose of it, right, is to select the guys that are truly qualified and can make it through the training as well as deployments. Exactly, yeah. I mean, because there has to be a standard, so that's identified very early, and everybody doesn't meet the standard they get rid of, and if you just barely scrape by, man, you're going to have the toughest time ever. Yeah, it makes sense. According to what you said, about 12 months before you become a SEAL. From the first day you get in, if you go straight through, are healthy, and you can pass everything. More like 15 months. Because there's a month in between boot camp and but I think it's a month. I don't remember. They change the program around a lot, so I'm not positive. But there's like a pre-BUDS thing that goes on now. Just to prepare people for how to lift a log over your head and how to lift a Zodiac and what the obstacle course looks like, as opposed to just having them show up and say, hey, this pass-fail event, and you've never touched the implement before. Yeah, that's good. I mean, at least it's helping you prepare, right? Yeah, a little bit. It's basically like, here's how the thing works. Now go do it. Yeah, so you don't run in there blind and just fail, and if you got another yeah, chance, maybe you would have passed. That's necessary to do to people. It's just basic 
for sure. So if you get selected, you earn your Trident in that year to 15 months, what pipeline do you go through after selection? What was it called and what were the phases and schools? Following that, you get your bird. And then after you get your bird, you already know where you're going. You're assigned to a specific SEAL team, and that's based on the needs of the teams. They usually split it up pretty evenly, East Coast, West Coast. There are SEAL teams in Coronado, and there are SEAL teams in Virginia. And they split it up back and forth to keep the numbers really even between every class. They try and manage that because there's guys that are rotating out or, you know, during the middle of the war. I mean, there are guys that were passing away or getting hurt, so they were trying to manage that number-wise. So you get assigned to a team, and then you literally go to the team, and you're just brand fucking new. <laughs> you might get a school, you might not. Usually you do. I went to a couple while I was in. Initially, my first one was preacher school. Yeah, so I went to Navy Lead Preacher, Naval Special Operations Lead Preacher. So it sounds like there was no set courses for you to attend. It's just more what they have available and if there's enough slots for you to go. Yeah, slots, availability, and the needs of the platoon. So I'm sure it was the same in uh, in that, but you know, you can only have so many guys that do so many jobs. You need to have certain guys with certain jobs in the platoon or the fire team or whatever the case may be. So they try and fill that out as best they can as quickly as possible while still maintaining the legitimacy of all the courses and everybody's uh, workload. Mm -hmm. Well, your training cycle sounds a lot more like Special Forces and even MARSOC, where a course will pop up and you'll go. In Ranger Regiment, it was a lot more standardized. You have your training cycle where you go through individual all the way up to the battalion level to do airfield seizures, but it seemed to be the same routine over and over again. So it seems like you guys have at least a little bit more flex and, you know, you never know what's going to pop up. Yeah, yeah. It's much more how you just described uh, SF. You were assigned to an SMU unit. What does SMU stand for, and is that different than being on a normal SEAL team? My understanding is that at the time that stood for, it probably still does, Special Mission Unit, which there's a bunch of them scattered throughout the military, and that just means that they are tasked to do things that um, you need special training or they have a, like a peculiar mission set. At SDV, we had a submersible we operated, so that was why we were that. And that's really what that means, is if you're coming from a place or you're assigned to a place that has a, a special use and a special set of training that's involved or special equipment, if that makes sense. I know there's some in the Air Force and there's some in the Army and there's some in the Navy and there's some in the Marine Corps. That might not necessarily require a screening, but it might require a screening to get there it just depends on which unit, what branch, where you are in your career. And what was a normal training cycle like? I mean, we answered a little bit with schools popping up, but uh, was there a set time before you deploy, or deployments come out of nowhere and tomorrow you have to pack your bags and leave? No, ours was relatively structured. We knew what we were doing. Um, we were on a pretty standardized training cycle. We knew, hey, we're going to be doing a dive block, uh, a land warfare block, a block where guys can go to schools, and then our deployment's going to be around this time frame, call it end of spring till end of summer, or whatever the case may be. We, we had a pretty high op tempo, so we were gone a lot doing training or deploying. I did three deployments while I was there in five years. That gives you an idea. Uh, one of those was a voluntary deployment, so I went over and augmented a team in Afghanistan. Beyond that, the structure was pretty standardized. 
and how long were deployments, and what was the typical mission set you guys did? We deployed for purpose. We were doing stuff in conjunction with special operations units uh, abroad, as well as Big Navy, Chris TV, and then I did the normal food crunching, like Navy SEAL knocking down doors in uh, in Afghanistan when I augmented the, the team over there. Were you guys leading it, or being teachers like special forces, and you guys would let them do the job? Yeah, we would just deploy for a specific purpose and train up for that while we were at SDV. And those deployments were kind of the standard, now cool standard special operations length of deployments, which are like the three to four month range. Yeah. Which is because of the amount of workload that's being given to the operator. And as you said before, each special operations unit has their own culture. Can you explain for me the overall culture of being a SEAL? I'd say... Most of the guys come from far more varied backgrounds than people would assume. You have everything from Ivy League graduates to blue-collar guys that grew up in the Appalachian Mountains. I mean, we had guys that were, you know, from eastern Kentucky, and then we had uh, guys that were Harvard graduates, people from Purdue, um, athletes and rodeo guys from Colorado. You know, so the culture is a pretty mixed bag, but the thing that's pretty standard is guys are very athletic, they're very aggressive, and they think outside the box. They have this sort of mentally cavalier attitude while still being exceptionally professional in what they can perform. Self-masters, it sounds like. Yeah. That type of culture that you're explaining seems to be predominant throughout the special operations community, which is very cool. Yeah, that's that's been my experience, too. It seems to be a pretty standard thing that that is what the culture is in special operations. And that's kind of what they're selecting for as you stay in those uh, pipelines. As you said prior, there you were gone for either deployments or training cycles, and you were constantly on the move. And when you go back to Hawaii, it was like on vacation. So with that said, how much time do you get to spend with family throughout the year? Ooh, not a lot. I think I was gone 200 plus to 220 days a year for whatever, five, six years in a row. I missed a lot of birthdays, missed I think all but one Christmas, most holidays, if you're deciding to do the thing, then that's your fucking life, you know, that's that's your family, you know, and that's what people need to understand when they look at it is it's a commitment and that's why it's important to know that that's a thing coming into that. I mean, it's changing a bit now, I'm sure, but, you know, when, when you and I were in, like, man, the war was, was hopping, so there was a lot of uh, time away. Yeah, I mean, that's really good for guys that are married, their wives, to hear that because then they can prepare themselves and know it's going to be a hard task, but they can get through it. Yeah, I mean, you and I both have seen guys that have been married, they were married before they joined, stayed married, and are still married, so it's, it's, you can do it. For sure. The wife has to have the mental fortitude as well. Yeah. What one mission set do you think SEALs are the best at out of the special operations community? I think we maintain our efficacy and our ability to perform dynamic raids to combine that with a maritime uh, platform, that's probably where we are at the tippy top of the pyramid. I thought you were going to say like writing a book or filming a movie, but yeah, I'll take that one. That's a good answer. Well, no, I mean, those, those are older. You know, we're, we've moved on to video games. <laughs> nice. Can you share three things you liked and three things you didn't like about your time in? all throughout in the Navy? I liked the guys I was with. I liked that I felt like I was doing a job that was worthwhile. Like, I, I could see the result of what we were doing. 
Austin. I know some guys, maybe the boot army guy that just patrols for presences and get to see what the result. You know, I was putting hands on legitimate targets, like bad guys, capturing them or, you know, removing them from the battlefield. Like that, that's, I could see the result. That's something that was super cool to have a part of. Man, I got to do some wild shit that was just super cool, like standing on the ramp of a C-130 at sunset, you know, over the Grand Canyon area. And, and to get to see the sun rising as you're doing a 30,000-foot halo jump. Like, that's kind of wild. Yeah, that's really cool. The stuff I didn't like was part of the reasons I left. I'm not really a fan of the bureaucracy that is the military. It can be quite a shit show to get through. Uh, I understand why it exists. That's not me bitching that it's a thing. I just personally didn't enjoy it. I think the pay structure can be modified. I think it's a little bit old and feudalistic, and I'm talking about the differences between officer and enlisted. Now, after getting out, I, the thing I don't like is I wish there was a more seamless way for the military to sign off on disability claims or to help the person uh, transitioning out of the military to deal with the VA. Definitely. That seems to be yeah. a common complaint among uh, a lot of people. Yeah. Do you have a war story you'd like to share? Something exciting or funny? We were driving at night once, coming back from a target on, uh, on night vision, and we were cruising pretty hard, and I guess the guy in front of us in his truck, one of the tubes on his uh, NVGs went out, and then the other one started to like fog up because it was like really cold outside. We were on a winter deployment, so the tube started to like fog up on the front, and he kind of lost where he was going, and he was trying to try to drive, and we were all darked out. He like sort of touched the embankment on the side of the road and did like a 720 and spun the Hilux out. Nope, that happened. But he spun out and got on the side of the road, and everybody's like, whoa, okay, that just happened. <laughs> it was uh, exciting, and then because there was nothing wrong and we weren't in a bad place, like, oh, that was kind of fucking funny. Yeah, that's hilarious. What recommendations do you have for those thinking of becoming a SEAL? If you're not already participating, if you're young and you're not already participating in a sport, pick a sport you like, but the guys that I felt like did the best were people that were track and field, uh, water polo players, or wrestlers. It just, for whatever reason, maybe it's the extended workout times, uh, maybe it's the team environment with the ability to perform as a solo individual. Maybe that's all, you know, part and parcel. That's why, but pick a sport. And then once you're deciding, yeah, I'm going to go to Bud's, stay healthy and eat as much as you can eat and just perform. That's it. That's all they're asking for. You know, they're not asking you to be the best performer. Just fucking perform and don't quit. Because if you want to be there, you're not going to quit. Period. Like we talked about earlier, you just need to be a good enough athlete. Everything else after that, they're going to teach you. That would be our recommendation. So you mentioned water polo is one of the sports you'd recommend. Seals and swimming go hand in hand. Would you recommend someone to just take a lot of time out of their workout and solely focus on swimming? Or what activity would you recommend? I would say do a lot of long, slow distance, but get into that real easy. And running is what I mean, because there's a shit ton of running at Bud's. It's a shit ton. I mean, you do six miles every day just to get to the galley to eat. So beyond all the, you know, running to the sand and everything else, you're going to do six miles a day, period. So that's 30 miles a week, regardless of what you want to do anyways. So think about that time on your legs. Guys who are runners or wrestlers that, you know, jog and run a lot didn't get lower extremity injuries. No shin splints, no knee stuff, no hip pain, which that adds up. So running would be your one recommendation is long, slow distance. Yeah, I think so. Okay. And then here's a question I think most people are dying to know. Are all SEALs guaranteed a movie 
or book contract once they get their trident. Yeah, actually, so you're given an editor and a contractor? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, I'm not going to shame somebody for being proud of the fact that they were a team guy. That's not my position to look at them and be like, oh, yeah, you should just be totally quiet forever about the fact that that's a thing you did. But I, I do find it a little irresponsible of some guys with some of the way that they've written some books on how much light's been brought to how the SEAL teams operate and where and when and why. And I, I think that's the shame is that they're doing it so quickly because, you know, people look back and they say, oh, well, books are written about Vietnam. It's like, that's true. You know, but most of those were published 15 or 20 years after the war was over. Yeah. You know, that, that makes a big difference. You know, we're still fighting some of these people that they're talking about. Not okay. That's just my personal opinion. I'm not going to shame somebody for wanting to talk about doing what they did, but I will say, hey, it's not the smartest thing to do. Especially because the war is still at, at its ending point right now, and talking about standard operation procedures or how you conducted this mission could expose a whole other group's way of doing things. And so then now if the enemy gets that book, they can now read it and see what they're going to do and be able to adapt to that, which is not good. And, you know, we've seen the result of that. Like they've uncovered ISIS documents that have spider webs that link guys through Facebook because of books and TV interviews. That shit's real. It really happens. They're really out there. They're really trying to kill people. Yeah. And you're putting other guys' life at risk just because you want to make some money or share your story if you just wait 10, 15, 20 where it's no longer relevant and it's a different form of fighting, then that's okay. And don't write the book. I'm saying just be cognizant about when you're publishing it. For sure. Where can people follow your wild adventures of base jumping, wingsuiting, and pushing limits? I am easy to find on Instagram, and it's at Thompson underscore Parasports on Instagram. That's the easiest place to see where I'm at, see what I'm up to. <laughs> cool. Sounds good, man. Well, that just covers about everything. Uh, I really appreciate you being here, and stay safe in all your wild adventures. Yeah, man, I'll try. To get more information about the process of joining, go to precombatcheck.com. Subscribe to this podcast to hear from more current and former members of the United States military. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for future episodes.